6. This is the series conclusion. And I, I want to start it off by asking everyone a simple question. Um, have you ever said something really stupid? My people. It's good. It's good to be with you all. Everyone online's like, no, that's why I just do everything online. I don't have to talk with, ever make a mistake. Uh, see, let me explain. Um, <laughs> here's what happened. Let me say it this way. Uh, I'm going to change it up a little bit so that uh, the names of the innocent, like they're protected, right? Okay, so the story may or may not have happened at a certain church that I may or may not work at with a certain coworker that I may or may not work with. Okay, just to protect everyone involved. Um, see, what happened was the previous night, my wife and I had been binge watching um, the great British baking show. Anybody? I have learned so many baking terms. It's incredible. But uh, see, that particular episode, they were, it was all about cheesecake. And let's just think about cheesecake for a second, just real quick. This is the service before lunch, right? Hmm. I know you're ready to move on, but I'm still thinking about cheesecake. <laughs> so thinking about cheesecake. And what happened was we had a, a meeting the next day at church. And so we may or may not have had the meeting. We had a meeting at church and we discussed all of the things, right? We shared ideas. We decided what ideas we're going to implement. All systems go. Ready, break. The meeting is done. And one particular coworker had gone out and um, purchased a, a new outfit. And I said, hold on. I can feel the tension in the room. Just hold on. We're fine. And I said, I said, you look really nice, but I know, right? Yeah. So you know as well. Anytime you you say a statement and then you you tack on the word but at the end of it, game over, right? It totally negates what you had just said, right? We know this in forgiveness, right? Or when you apologize, like I'm so sorry, but. If you wouldn't have had, right? Like, it's, it's foolish. Don't even go there. So what I did is I acknowledged and I said, you look really nice, but you remind me of a hostess at the Cheesecake Factory. <laughs> you ever said something stupid that you regretted? But it's okay. I caught it. I saw the look on her face. It's all hypothetical anyways. But I saw the look on her face. And I went, oh, no, because I, I tend to uh, speak before I think I'm one of those ready, fire, aim kind of guys. So uh, I said that and I went, oh, no. And I totally saved myself. I, you know, you start feeling like you need to backpedal. And I said, no, 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 it's fine. Like wh- what I mean is I, I'm hungry, but um, it also reminds me of, of choir performances in sixth grade. And it was at that moment that Joel threw me a shovel and I just started just digging the hole deeper and deeper and deeper. And so not only did this uh, co-worker go out and spend money to buy a, a nice outfit, and she looked very nice. She looked nice, right? Uh, I immediately said that you look like a sixth grade choir person or a hostess at the Cheesecake Factory, which I assume when she was getting ready this uh, that morning, um, not this morning, whew, when she was getting ready that morning, that was not her intention to look like that. Is that a fair assumption? I think so. And so uh, what happened was I immediately felt horrible, and I once again diagnosed myself with this disease. You may have it as well. It's foot and mouth disease. 
where you, you insert your foot into your mouth because you have said something very stupid and hurtful. Now, in these moments, I always reflect back to on what mama taught me growing up. She said, if you don't have anything nice to say, make sure it's funny. Because we all know humor can cover a multitude of sins, especially in a public gathering. What do you do? Ah, oh, it's awkward. Crack a joke. Everyone will laugh. Tension resolves and we move on throughout our lives. Except when you say something foolish and it hurts the person on the other end. Everyone moves on publicly, but that person privately is wounded. They're hurt. And we know this. This has happened to us. We have done this to other people, right? And so that's a funny scenario. And by the way, I cleared the story with her. Everything's good. So don't go down those rabbit trails. Uh, promise. It's fine. But, but when I say something and it hurts you, and then I cover it up with humor and move on, that's almost like a one-two punch. Because it doesn't even acknowledge what happened. We just gloss over it like it never did happen. And then this person is just stuck with these feelings. And again, it's one thing to say it when, you know, you can kind of, it's public, you can cover it up with humor. It's another thing when you say it in a more intimate environment. On a one-on-one conversation with, I don't know, if you're, if you're a dad with your son or with your daughter. Or husbands and wives. When we say things and we realize, oh man, that, that was really foolish. And that, that probably hurt really bad. And so what happens is, we, you and I, we can say things and then an argument will usually erupt. Or the other person is left devastated. But then we have to circle back and have the conversation after the conversation. Are you familiar with these? These are not fun at all. But we say we end up saying things like this. We'll say phrases like this. I didn't mean it. And I learned this from my father. And he would say, Steve, you did mean it at that time. That's why you said it. But when you and I, when we say things that we didn't mean, what we're really saying is this. We regret it. Because again, in that moment, we meant it. We just regret the consequences of what it has done to the relationship. And you and I both know this, right? What we say matters because words are powerful. Words are incredibly powerful. For good or for evil, for better or for worse, words are incredibly powerful. How many of us, you don't have to show your hands, but man, how many of us are remembering comments that were said to us or spoken over us in the fourth grade? Things that your spouse has said to you that have just kind of stuck. It's a label that was imprinted on you at a very early age. Recurring statements that come up in conversations at the office, but also at home. And we're struggling to go through these words. And when I was really, really young, I got hit with a couple of these words. But there was a phrase that we were taught. Do you remember this phrase? You might know it. I'll make sure I get it right. Um, it says this, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That is the dumbest statement I've ever heard. And just to be candid with you, um, a couple of things that I have been on the receiving of, I would rather have a broken bone than to hear those words. There's also another phrase. This one is ideal, but it, it's not true either. It says, I'm rubber, you're glue. What you say to me bounces off me and sticks to you. That's the second dumbest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> so what do we do, right? And I learned this in elementary school. So armor up, right? Like I'm glue. It's, it's fine. I can handle this. I'm good. I'm safe. I'm strong. Blah, 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 blah. And then someone just does a quick little drive by and throws a little jab or a sarcastic comment our way. And boom, what do we do for the next four hours? We're replaying it over in our minds. What did they really mean by that? Was that true? Why does that hurt so much? Is that, there's got to be a little bit of truth about that. Otherwise, they wouldn't have said the joke. But they said they were joking. So what does that... Right? We go through this rabbit trail in our minds and it inevitably leads nowhere. 
But we're stuck wondering, okay, now what does this mean about me? And what does this mean about us in our relationship? So the question today is simply this. How do we keep ourselves from saying things that we will later regret? And how do we, come, how do we become the type of people that speak words that give life to one another? Because I think we want to do both. Some of us are better at one side of the coin than the other. Are you with me? Some of us, like foot and mouth disease, it just, man, we're, we're pros. We just are, and again, we speak before we think. And then others of us, man, we craft our words so wisely. You write handwritten notes, and you think through every single word. And it's beautiful. But how, how do we make sure that we do both of these things? Because it's not just enough to, to not say anything foolish that we'll regret. You, you also have to say encouraging things. You have to say life-giving things. Now, we're in church So we are going to open up the Bible. But before we do, I want you to think for a moment. I want you to think for a second. Um, We're not going to read the words of Jesus today. We're going to read the words of his half-brother, James. Some of you are already reaching for your Bible, James. James chapter 3, you can go there. But think for a moment. If you are the half-brother to Jesus Christ, you have probably said some things you regretted. Like growing up, Jesus is a carpenter, right? So I'm sure you learn the family trade as you're trying to build some things. And Jesus is over there working on this table and you're working on a rocking chair and you got the hammer and you got the nail and you smack your thumb and you say, son of a... And Jesus is right there and he goes, ah, I know what you're going to say. James, I'm sure complained. How come Jesus is the favorite? Mom and dad always like him, but I'm struggling through life. He seems to be floating on a cloud. In the older years, Jesus is like, I'm the Messiah. And James is going, okay, sure, you're the Messiah. I must be Moses then. But Jesus was right. Then you have to eat your own words. Like, that's not a great feeling either. So here's a guy, half-brother of Jesus. As they're growing up, he's experienced some things. He has said some things. I'm sure that he's regretted. To the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ. And in his letter, in the third chapter, he's going to pen some words. And I think they are so applicable for you and I today when it comes to this idea. How do we speak words that give life? And how do we make sure we don't say things that we're later going to regret? So with that in mind, go to James chapter 3. And we're going to pick it up in verse 1. James is my favorite book of the Bible. It is the middle name of my firstborn son. I love this book. I do not like this next verse. It says this, not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more easily. Is that what yours says? Because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. And I think rightly so. Let me explain. You wake up in the morning, you have a really, really bad day. You go into the office or you're out in the field or wherever it is that you're working, right? And so let's just say you drop an F-bomb. Other people will go, oh man, must be having a hard day. Maybe he's trying to motivate his people and really like crack the whip and get them going. If I drop an F-bomb on stage at my day in the office, I'm invited never to speak again. (laughs) Rightly so. It's not that there's a different standard. It's just that the judgment is going to be stricter. And here's the truth. We should, our speech should be consistent wherever we find ourselves whether it's at work or we're hanging out in the field, we're shooting, we're cleaning the house, we're raising our kids, coaching a team, whatever it is, our speech should be consistent across the board. Problem is, for most of us, it's not. We tend to compartmentalize a little bit. 
And Jesus is saying, or sorry, James is saying, those of you who teach, you're going to be judged more strictly, especially, especially if you bring Jesus into the equation. You start raising your sons and you say, Jesus wants you to fill in the blank. That's, you've gone next level. And I think what James is saying, you're saying, look, he, look, if you pull the name of God and attach this to an instruction, to a behavior, to a truth, you better be right. Don't be wrong. Don't use this in vain. You better be right. Likewise, there, there's two, two big regrets that I have or, or themes of the regrets that I have. One is um, saying, saying the wrong thing or even saying the right thing the wrong way. And then the second regret, regret is not speaking up when I feel like I should have. When I needed to stick up for somebody, when I needed to represent another side of the argument. When I saw somebody being taken advantage of, when someone was being manipulated wrongly, when there was some element of injustice and I, I had an opportunity and I didn't say anything. I think in those instances, Jesus is going to look at us and go, man, you had an opportunity and you, you, you came with the scriptures, with the truth of Jesus Christ. And, and you could have said this, and you didn't. Or you said this, and you shouldn't have. You should have said something else. So before you think this is just about pastors, um, quick show of hands. How many, how, many of you, uh, how many of you are parents in the room? Teachers? Coaches? Keep your hands up. Those of you online, I can see your hand. No, I can't. You're a, a boss, a CEO, you lead a team. Guess what, friends? Teachers. What we say matters. We will be judged more strictly to this. Verse 2. I think it's worse. He says this. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect. Able to keep their whole body in check. So number one in your notes. Our character is measured by our words. Like it or not, our character is measured by our words. Think of it this way. What you say and how you live, measure the distance between the two. That is your character. That is your integrity. Or, or maybe lack thereof. And depending on the distance, is, that's the amount of work that we have to do. You ever done this? I think marriage examples are, are so perfect for this. Um, you ever said something? See, in marriages, I think we overpromise and underdeliver. We'll say things like this. I've been so guilty of this. Uh, don't worry, babe. I'll get the kids to school on time. Every time. Happily. I'll be home on time. And then something comes up. Oh, there was traffic. I got stuck behind a whatever. Don't worry. Dinner will, will be ready. I won't forget to fill in the blank and then we forget. What's better than making the promise and not delivering on the promise is just keeping our mouths shut. And I have a really hard time doing this because I like to talk. It's one of my favorite things to do. But there have been so many times where I overpromise and underdeliver that what I say and how I live, those things do not match up. And friends, this is a very big deal. This mattered tremendously to Jesus. There was a group of people um, called the Pharisees. And their claim to fame, they were known as the people that were so devoted to God. They knew the scriptures. They knew how to behave. They knew that if this was sin, we're so righteous, what we will do is we will build a fence around this. 
They say the sin is getting drunk, so we won't even drink anything. That way we won't even be close to it. They would build fences around the law to make sure that they did not sin. They wanted everyone to know that they lived this way. They knew more than anyone did about the scriptures. They carried themselves in this elitist way of just better than... They would look down their nose at other people who weren't as educated as they are, who weren't as devoted to Jesus as they were, or to, to God as they were. And so Jesus comes on the scene, and he looks at this group, and he says, you claim to understand the heart of God, to know who God is, and you have alienated this whole other segment of people over here. And Jesus, listen, he calls them a whitewashed tomb. Meaning you look so good on the outside, so clean, you have it all together. But inside on the tomb, inside of the tomb is death. That is such a strong statement for Jesus to make. And I just find it so fascinating that Jesus is, he's going against these people, the religious leaders of the day who think they have it right and they have it all together. They think properly, they speak properly, they act properly. And he's going against them, acknowledging the hypocrisy, and he's hanging out with, quote unquote, those people. It's the sinners, it's the tax collectors, it's the prostitutes. And he's not speaking words of condemnation to them. He's speaking words of grace of love, of mercy. What we say and how we live is of extreme importance to Jesus. Jesus was all about love. He was all about accepting one another. He was all about loving one another. And so he spent his time with these people over here. Quote, unquote, the wrong people. Where the religious elite who had it all together, he said, you're like a whitewashed tomb. You just, you, you've put up this wall, you look really, really nice on the outside, but inside you are dying. There's nothing of value internally. It is dead. See, what we say and what we do is of tremendous, tremendous importance. Verse 3, when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. And I love this one. Verse 4, or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. So I did a little Google search, pulled up a very big boat. This is the Dwight D. Eisenhower aircraft carrier. Now, I've had someone explain the physics and the geometry and how all this stuff is supposed to work. I have no idea how a city floats on water. I am fascinated. Bellingham Harbor, you have all these boats that are just floating there. It blows my mind. I have no idea how they float. I just think this is an incredible feat. And mankind has created these things, and they float on water, and they were made out of wood. And then we thought, ah, let's go metal. Let's get steel, and we'll, I know, we'll build a city. And then we'll just... Push it out on the water, and it's going to float. And if we want it to go left, it'll go left. And if we want it to go right, it'll go, it'll go right. Amazing. I have no idea how it works. But check this out. Here's what you need to know about this aircraft carrier. It is 91,400 tons. It is the length of 1,092 feet. It has a speed of up to or more than 30 knots. It has nuclear-powered let me get this right, 280,000 horsepower reactors. It's a lot of horses. Listen, it is controlled by one person turning a wheel that moves a rudder, which is one one-thousandth the size of the ship. It is such a small thing, but it controls everywhere this thing goes. 
verse 5, James is saying, Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. Number two, our words have the power of both good and evil. You have been on the recipient, the receiving side of this. You and I, we have also delivered this to people as well. We have spoken words to people and it has given them life. And we have spoken words to people and it has ruined lives. We have, we have delivered that to people. We have received that from other people as well. Verse 6, he goes on. He says, the tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and it itself set on fire by hell. I love the example. Um, I grew up in California, and our state was always on fire. <laughs> it's just constantly burning. I make the news, oh, there's a new fire. And we're like, of course. It's just it's a hot, dry desert. It's going to burn. But it's fascinating to see how so many of these fires start. It's usually just by a cigarette that wasn't put out completely. There's a couple where they go campfire, they have campfires, right? And then they, they dump water on the fire and they think they've, they've cooled and smothered all the coals, but they haven't. It's still warm. Wind picks up, just takes a little bit of dust. <laughs> Hundreds of thousands of acres burned. And I think back to my life growing up and even today, the damage that has been done by gossip, the damage that has been done by people saying one word or one sentence to people. I've felt it. I've walked by groups of people and heard them laughing and pointing. I'm sure you have as well. I think James is spot on with the power of words. It takes one word. You've experienced this in your marriage. You have no fly. You have zones where you cannot fly. Do not go there. And as soon as one spouse starts going there, it immediately you, the walls are going up, you feel defensive, you feel threatened. Words are powerful and we can do a lot of good and we can do a lot of evil with them. I, I want to play a game real quick. You ready? No one's ready. You ready? <laughs> this will solve some of the tension in the room. Um, for evil or for good. Now I'm going to walk us through a couple categories of things we could say that are really good. Or things that are evil, okay? So for marriages, I'm going to give you something good to say. Something restorative to say. In fact, if you're sitting by your spouse right now, would you grab their hand and look at them eyeball to eyeball? Do the best you can. And I want you to say this. I forgive you. Some of you hesitated. I'll count you down. Ready? Three, two, one, go. I forgive you. And you're thinking, for what? Don't worry, by five o'clock, I'm sure you'll know the answer. <laughs> maybe do this. Maybe, maybe do this. Hand in hand, eyeball to eyeball. Say, I'm sorry. You wanted me to count you down. Sorry. That was, listen, what we just did right there, that was good. That was life-giving. And there are some people, whether they're online or they're in the room right now, they have not shared those words with one another for months. And we start harboring things inside. Resentment builds up. Man, we should be people that are quick to forgive and quick to accept it. 
Say, I am sorry and I forgive you. These should be things that we say constantly that are really, really good. Can I give you an example of something evil to say to your spouse? Go ahead, hold their hands. Eyeball to eyeball. You always, I'm just kidding, don't do this. But you know, right? I'm going to say the phrase, you always, or even this one, this one's great too. You never. And some of you in your relationships right now, you know what that next word is, don't you? You know the topic. You know exactly where that's going. These are words of evil. Do not speak these words. You never. You always. Why can't you be more? These are not great words that are going to bless your marriage. Words of, I am sorry. Please forgive me. I love you. I don't always show it, but I am trying and I am doing better. Never say, I'm sorry, but... If you would have done this, I wouldn't have lost my temper and done this. What? That is the dumbest thing you could ever say. You're not sorry for nothing. Words that are good, that are healing, that are life-giving. How about parenting? Good things we can say to our children as they're growing up. We can say, I'm proud of you. I love you. I saw you struggle and work hard and overcome. You did great. Words of evil that we can speak to our children. How about this? You ever yelled at your kids to stop yelling at one another? You know how confusing that is to someone? I'm sitting here going, Nolan, you need to be nice to your brother Nixon. Stop yelling at him. You need to share the love of Christ. Whoa, like so many mixed signals, you know? There's a little guy growing up. He's like, I don't know. I'm just, dad, I'm doing what you do. That's humbling. Things that we say at the church, these are really, really good things, life-giving things. We can say, man, worship was powerful. I had a great interaction with Jesus. The sermon was helpful in so many ways. Evil things that we can say. Why do they sing that same song over and over again? It's too loud. It's too soft. Why does the pastor always talk about sex? We should go to a different church. They should be more like this. <laughs> things that in your small group, good things we can say. Oh, man, I, I get it. I've been there. I had a very similar experience. That is tough. Evil things that we say in small groups. Ew, gross. Your, your sin is, a, you're like a next level sinner. Ugh. Now, you may not use that vernacular, but that's not a big stretch for some of us. We've shared some struggles. We share some intimate knowledge with other people and they look at us and they may not have said it with their mouth, but their body... Their body said it. Words are powerful. How about this? How about, how about our, our outside world? Um, I think of John 3.16. For God so loved, he loved the world. Things that, good things that we can say, life-giving things that we could say to the world. I love you. I, I am more for you than I am for my opinion. I don't understand that thought process. Could you explain it to me? We may disagree, but I value you. I respect you. I love you. I think evil things we can say to people in the world is anytime we refer to a group of people, an organization as quote unquote, those people, those people talk this way. Those people think this way. Those people, they act this way. Well, if those people would only I think that's a very destructive thing for 
those people to hear. For God so loved the world that his church would love the world too. I'm not saying agree with everything in the world. But the world needs to know that the church loves them the way that Jesus, the God that we worship, loves them. And we do this, we do this with our words. Let's keep going. Verse 7. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Verse 10, and this is so convicting for me. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. This is very convicting for me. Because I talk about those people. And though I don't directly curse them, I do not bless them and talk highly the way I do about my friends or my inner circle. There's a discrepancy there of what I say and how I live. This is a character issue for me. And I'm willing to bet I'm not the only one. I think there's at least two of us in here. For God so loved that person, that group, that organization, those people, the world, that Steve's words would match. One of the things that is so interesting, Linden is, is, is a small town, um, but there's great diversity here. It's really, really fascinating. And even in our church, we take all kinds, all walks of life. There's great diversity here in thought, in speech, in life experience. And what I have found to be true of this church, and I love this, is that on Sunday morning, we show up and we praise Jesus. And in my interactions with people on Monday morning, we are doing the same thing. We're praising Jesus. We are loving our neighbor. Now, there's plenty of room for growth. Can I get an amen? We could all do better in this. But I I love this, especially as a a quote-unquote outsider from Southern California moving in to Washington. I have been met with story after a story of Lyndon is like this. Be careful because of this. And this is going to happen in Lyndon and Lyndon, 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 Lyndon. And what I have found at North County is a group of people that is very welcoming, very hospitable, that values and acknowledges the differences in one another. And we have a lot of similarities. Don't get me wrong. But we are, in fact, diverse. And I love that we are being kind to one another. I think it's incredibly powerful. There's, um, let me give you verse 10 one more time. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. There's a country song by the band Florida Georgia Line, and I'm not trying to pick on them, but I just want to read the lyrics because there's no way I'm going to sing them. So here's what it says. They they write this in their song. They say, yeah, we're proud to be young. We stick to our guns. 
We love who we love and we want to have fun. Yeah, we curse on them Mondays and pray on them Sundays. Pass it around and we dream about one day because this is how we roll. It's more eloquent when they do it, but uh, I don't ever want to be the people that we curse on those Mondays and then we pray on those Sundays. I want, I want to be the people where what we say and what we do matches up. And phrases like, well, it's just, it's just what we do. It's just what we say. It's just kind of how it is. I feel like it's a terrible excuse to do anything. Yeah, I'm just sarcastic, so you better get used to it. Yeah, but Steve, you've hurt and offended a lot of people with your sarcasm. Don't you think you should tone that down? Ah, they just need thicker skin. What? That's just who I am. That's how God made me. No, it's the choices you're making and the words you're saying. God didn't necessarily create you that way. It's a horrible reason. It's a horrible reason for us to keep doing some of the things that we keep doing. Verse 11, and we're getting close. Verse 11. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. You get the point. Number three in your notes, what we say matters. It matters a lot. Um, I, I can remember, this is late high school, very early college, I can remember going to a couple pastors that I knew and telling them, um, I'm really interested in this. I, I want to know more. I, th- I, think, I think I might want to become a pastor. And I can remember those conversations. These are, these are men and women that I have respected, that I have looked up to, that have taught me a lot. They've mentored me on some occasions. But I remember, I remember some of them looking at me and going, Steve, it's really, really hard work. It's a hard job. And I remember thinking to myself, like, aren't all jobs hard <laughs> That's why it's a job. And they said, no, you don't understand. Um, see, you, you, need, you need to go to seminary. You need to get really, really smart. You need to know all the Greek and all the Hebrew and all the theological terms. And you need to know something about me. I'm a horrible speller. <laughs> I do not win spelling bees. Um, I have a very mild uh, self-diagnosed, like, uh, what, what is it? Dyslexia. Thank you. And it's not lost on me that I speak for a living and that I read out loud for a living. And so there are certain words in the Bible that I, I switch letters around and it takes me a little wire, a little longer to get them connected. And I, I can remember him saying, you, you need to be more academic. You need to be more book smart. And I'm, I'm not. I'm not an academic. I don't know all the theological terms. I remember talking to another one and said, you have to work really, really hard. You have to get up. You have to grind and you have to go, 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 go. And Steve, quite frankly, you're lazy. Okay, so I'm not smart enough. Lazy. I remember talking to another guy. He said, "Well, you're not you're not creative enough. You have ideas, and and they're fine. They're just they're not great. Okay. Not smart enough. I'm lazy. Not creative. I had another guy say, "You need to be more entrepreneurial. You have to think this way." And I I don't know that I always think that way. And I, I know these men and women, uh, and, and they meant well, but what they were trying to do was, was not shame me or tell me I didn't have what it takes. What they were trying to do is say, Steve, these are areas in your life that you're going to have to grow in. But, but listen, they started there. They didn't start with, I'm so excited. 
that's really cool. How can I help? I've learned some things along the way. Do you mind if I share them with you? They they didn't start there. They started with, here's all the reasons you're disqualified. And I keep looking at the gospels specifically, and I read through these things, and I'm like, Jesus, the the disciples are idiots. Have you read the gospels? They're foolish people. Peter, specifically. Not the brightest bulb. Listen to what Peter, Peter says all the wrong things all the time. And I started looking at them and I started looking at my life and I went, can, can I, Peter was good enough for Jesus to pick. Can, can Steve be good enough? Can I just be me or do I have to be this carbon copy of somebody else? And I will never forget this. Um, I went, I went and worked at Forest Home and I, I was a dean. I, I worked with uh, a lot of youth pastors and their junior high students. And my boss was, his name was Nate Rice. And, and this man changed my life. See, as a dean, you're hanging out with students. You're kind of teaching breakout sessions. You're leading games. And you're doing announcements at mealtime. And it's really, really fun. But what Nate did is he said, after we do all of our tasks, and all the kids are asleep, right? They're never sleeping at camp. But they're asleep, and they're, they're the counselor's problems now, right? They're like their youth pastor's problems. You have to worry about this. Everything's locked up. No one's breaking into the kitchen late at night. What he did is he took us as a team, 16 college students, and he said two times a week we're going to do this. And here's what he did. He placed a chair right there. And he said, this is the hot seat. And every time we gather and we do this, we're going to pick someone from our team. We're going to put them in this chair. And then we are going to essentially dogpile them with encouragement, with affirmation, with words that are true. Because what we are doing here at this camp is difficult and discouraging work. And I will never forget this. Week two, my name was called. So I sit in the seat. And there were two rules to this. It must be true. You, you can't make up a compliment. And no repeats. Because there's, one, there's more than one valuable thing about somebody. And I, I can remember people looking at me and going, Steve, when you, when you speak, whether it's leading a game or doing announcements, people listen. And I... I can remember them saying, when you tell stories, people see themselves in that story. And Steve, some of the ideas that you brought to our games, to some of our gatherings, are really creative and really engaging. And you keep going around the circle. And all of these things that others said disqualified me or I didn't have were now affirmed from all these other people. Do you, do you know what that does to a young person, to their faith in Jesus Christ, where, where you, feel like, you feel like God is leading you this way, but the people that you respect and admire most say the exact opposite? Do you know what that does? That's really difficult. That's really difficult. And this happened in 2008, and I promise you, I can remember it like it was yesterday. Of all the things that disqualified me, and then to have a group of people see all of those things and value them and say, no, you, you are good. You are enough. You do have what it takes. Kurt's not here, so big, big shout out to him. Don't tell him I'm telling you this. 
Um, I can remember in our conversations early on in the interview process and talking through just life and, and what this might look like for me to be able to join the team that I was really excited. And it was through Zoom, and so we're staring at the screen. And I, I remember looking at him and asking a very pointed question and saying, do, do you want me? Do, do you want Steve Osborne? And all of the good <laughs> and all of the bad. Or do you just want someone that you can kind of mold and shape and hopefully grow into this? And he looked in the camera as if he was peering into my soul. And he said, I want Steve Osborne to join our team. I'm not the smartest guy. I'm not the funniest guy. Like the disciples, I just want to follow Jesus. And I want to be used in whatever way I can. And I know that I'm not the only one in this room. And what I'm trying to say this morning is that words are powerful. And they can give life to people. Or they can ruin a life. And as the church, we have a wonderful opportunity here. Because when people know that we follow Jesus, when they look in and they see the things that we say, they're making connections to Jesus. And with our words, we can speak new life into people. We can lead people to Jesus Christ. And in fact, Jesus has entrusted us to share our stories, to use our words to lead people to Jesus Christ. We can give them new life. Because what we say matters. And I love this church. I love this staff. I love this place because we're looking at other people, at each other, and we're saying, you are different than I am, and I value that, and that is good, and your experience matters. To the point where Jesus is going to use you to do phenomenal things. He's not asking you and I to be somebody that we are not. He already has that person. He wants you and I to be who he created us to be, to go out into the world, to share the love. For God so loved the world that we would go and share that message with people and people would come to find truth in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. It is the greatest responsibility you and I could ever have. And we have to use our words and we have to have good words to say. And what we say matters tremendously. So let's be people that as we leave, we have words that are true, words that are good, words that connect people to the love, to the mercy and forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that this would be our church. That, Lord, we would be known as a church that speaks words of truth, of goodness to one another, that we build one another up. Father, I pray that even in our difficult conversations that we have, where there is disagreement, Lord, I pray that both parties would leave walking away going, man, I, you know, we disagree, but I have tremendous respect for this person. I felt loved by this person. But Father, I pray that we would connect all of that back to Jesus Christ. God, it's... You're not asking us to be somebody that we're not. You're not asking us to share someone else's story. 
You're asking us to share our story with the people that we love so that they may put their hope and trust in your son, Jesus. So, Father, may we always be a community that speaks life to one another, that encourages one another. May it start in our marriages. May it start in our parenting as we are raising children who will one day lead our world. May they reflect on their parents and say, man, they spoke words that were true, yes, but full of grace and full of love. Father, in our marriages, would we, man, would we watch our sarcasm? Would we watch those quick little jabs that we throw around? Father, may we have words that are healing, that are good, that create intimacy in those relationships. Father, would this church continue to do that? And would the implications go throughout our county? And Father, would people know that when the church speaks of them, that they know they are loved by us and by Jesus. We pray this in his name. All God's people said, amen. Amen. Would you stand with me as we worship Jesus and close in just one more song?